0: Welcome to Geeks and Jocks Podcast. Welcome back to Geeks and Jocks. This is Ryan Sullivan. I think I would like to look at this episode as being kind of a... How do you say it? Like an anniversary episode? Because there's definitely a lot of stuff that turns a specific age. Stuff that turned like 25, 30 years old. Uh, it's gonna be that kind of kind of episode, you know. Talk my thoughts a little bit into baseball with the consecutive game streak being broken around this time back in nineteen ninety-five. My thoughts on the NFL in general for the twenty twenty season. Some surprising cuts, I might say, especially when you look at Washington and cutting Adrian Peterson, for example. A Super Mario. 35th Anniversary Edition that doesn't seem all that enticing, but kind of is at the same time. A little bit on my thoughts of college kids being stubborn and selfish when it comes to COVID-19, and maybe one or two other things that come into my mind. So I think I'll begin on a on a small rant, if, if I might say so. We are at that point in modern day history where it just seems like capitalism is all around us. and That's not always a bad thing, but one of the things that bothers me a little bit, and this is something that goes back to August this past month, with uh, seeing Halloween candy out in the middle of summer. I, for the life of me, cannot understand why this is becoming such a common thing over the last few years. Like, it's one thing to get ready for a holiday season. It's another thing to do this well over two months in advance. I understand we are in a pandemic, mind you, but you got to be kidding me. I mean, what next? You're going to tell me you start selling Halloween? <laughs> you're going to start selling me Valentine's Day stuff, even though it's not a real holiday. Valentine's stuff, right around a few days before Christmas. Or better yet, on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, you're going to start selling Easter candy. Please. Hey, why, not just, why not just for Halloween, wait until I don't know, maybe the middle of September? the end of September, get people ready for this, because how many people are really going out of their way to get candy right now? To get Halloween candy. Please. And that stuff, I I, I can't be stunned at if the expiration dates are very quick. Just, why not have a point where you have Halloween candy out by the end of September and then have it going for the whole month of October very obviously you start getting Christmas ready around the week of Thanksgiving if not if I I were to be generous maybe a week before Thanksgiving begins you start the Valentine's Day stuff at the end of at the end of January even though it's not a real holiday like I said And, uh, for, uh, Easter, do like a month, like, do like a month in advance, like, whenever the Easter hits, because it's random now these days, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, it's getting ridiculous with this stuff, I mean, it, why can't we just celebrate the stuff beyond just the capitalism part of these holidays? Like think about the good natured stuff of, of these holidays. Just think of them, you know. Anyway, um, it just it's just a just a bad sign overall, and I mean, an even worse sign is seeing some of these some of these schools and colleges open up, and the students being really selfish. Not all of them, mind you not all of them but a select number of of these kids that think oh we can do whatever we want let's party let's get drunk you know you're hurting people's chances you're hurting students chances to to get their education and try to get a normal routine through Going up to the classes every day, taking your labs, just just being a regular person despite being in a pandemic. I'll be curious to see what the numbers are as far as increases in COVID nineteen. I'd be very curious to see what the numbers will be soon. Oh, by the way, recording uh, September six, two thousand twenty. By the way, uh, just. I would like to see if, because there was a headline of an article that said, this will dictate whether the virus will cause a new wave of people to get infected, or if people take the precautionaries, that there won't be such a huge issue. And when you see some of these colleges and schools not follow protocol, and there's places that are starting to now try and admonish the students, get them to stop with the partying, stop with the huge groups, or else there'd be something like suspension. I mean, that's also on the colleges themselves. You know, you, you didn't take it seriously. And as a result, you know, these places, your, your school suffers from not having the students there. You have to rely on online. Not everyone can afford online. And your local economies for for these towns that have these colleges, it goes down the crapper a little bit. And you hope for some of these local businesses they can sustain themselves, especially in places like the Northeast, Midwest, where when it comes to uh, something that I'll talk about a little bit, you know, these places need students in the winter to come in and get your get your food, get your clothing. You need those type of people, and without them, you do take a hit, especially for any places that are local. You know, you can't have people, I mean, you'll have maybe deliveries for for restaurants, but it's going to be even more difficult when it's snowing throughout the day, and you have to go on to some of these back roads, especially if you're in any places like, say, New York, Vermont. New Hampshire, for example, or being out in the freezing, freezing cold in places like North Dakota, South Dakota. I mean, the the economy will be hurt a little bit. And some places may not survive into the new year. Who knows what 2021 will bring? You're hoping for something normal. I would hope that's something a lot of people would love to have in mind, something normal. But instead, it's there's a lot of fear, too much fear, and you're hoping that there is a vaccine that comes out soon, hopefully. But these, these kids need to understand, it's like, this is a very serious situation, and being immature is not going to solve anything. It just won't. I, I, I do think we need to have schools open, but I also think we do need to find a way to make it safe. And I think I do think maybe the virtual type of class could work, but it also depends on the kids' willingness to to do these type of things, and I don't know. I don't see this as the future of schooling, but until this pandemic's about over, which, until this pandemic's over, when uh, whenever that will be as we enter month six here in the United States very soon or right around this time I mean I don't know it's there's not really any good answers I can I can say. With all that aside, let's get into something positive and talk about what I think a lot of people could say, is one of the most coveted accomplishments that was set back around this time. Actually, uh, recording very late into September six, September 6th, 1995. And that was when the Baltimore Orioles faced the California Angels in a baseball game that was broadcasted on ESPN. Now you might be asking yourself, what, is that, what does that even mean? Okay. Back in ni- back in the 1920s, Lou Gehrig started his consecutive game streak. And he would continue playing consecutive games all the way up to 1939, when he wound up having ALS, which in, now these days they call it Lou Gehrig's disease. And unfortunately, he would lose that battle... 2 years later you would think in 39 that there's this could be this will never be broken 2130 games there's no way anyone will ever break that because I mean throughout the grueling process of 144 games 152 162 whatever people get hurt sometimes you want to rest certain people and that's become such a common thing now these days of these players getting all this sort of rest and trying to get people ready for these big matchups that you didn't it's hard to imagine what cal ripken junior did on that day in september of 95 reaching 2131 games let me reiterate that 2131. And he had been playing games every day, every game since 1982. And he accomplished all sorts of stuff with having, you know, pretty good power hitter, won a World Series early on in his career, and that's really the last time the Orioles even made it to a World Series was uh nineteen eighty three. They've come close a couple times in the late mid to late nineties. Of course, you have the infamous Jeffrey Mayer home run during Game One of the ALCS against the Yankees. Of course, losing to the uh, the Mariners in '97, and they and the Orioles won the division that year. The Yankees didn't even win; it. they were a wild card team in '97. By digress, and actually, Ripken continued to play for at least three more straight years until around the end of September of 98. And I don't know the exact number off the top of my head, but it was at least over 2,600 games that the streak was. And you'll never see something like that again. it will, I don't think it'll ever happen again because of all the stuff regarding rest and people getting hurt all the time. It just seems like injuries are more common now these days. Seems way more common than you realize. Not to mention all the suspensions going on with some of these players for targeting specific batters. It just—I don't know. It Just—it's—it's it's weird to think about. Maybe, maybe at some point we'll see a streak happen again, but that's—it's—it's it's an extremely long shot. You know, similar to what the NFL had, considering we're we're at 10 years since the final season of uh, Brett Favre. Hard to imagine, really. I mean, Brett Favre started every game following him, following the replacing of Don Magikowski when uh, Magikowski got hurt around the early parts of the 1992 season. And Favre led the Packers all the way from 92 to 2007. Played a year with the Jets, all 16 games. And played 09 in 2010 with the Vikings. And he reached 297 consecutive games. Now that's an accomplishment that will never happen. And I think I think Eli Manning would have come very close if it wasn't for that idiot of a coach he had with Ben McAdoo benching Manning in a game against the Oakland Raiders starting Geno Smith. Now, Smith's ne- never had really a remarkable career. And I think that will be the only thing outside of having like a decent 2013 rookie year. He was the guy that started a game when Manning was benched and it was not a meaningful game at all that team the 2017 giant team was just abysmal that year and obviously that angered a lot of people and there were a lot of firings around that point at the end of the year that was just it was just the topping on a really bad sunday that ultimately cost McAdoo his job, ultimately cost Jerry Reese the general managing job. And just it's just the culture just being a bit toxic there for the Giants. But yeah, Favre, I mean, the dude was able to do a lot of things and he was important for the teams he was playing with. But he also hurt himself at times with some of his boneheaded throws. Especially when you look at what he did in the NFC Championship game against the Saints, his final pass as a Packer was an interception. He, his his final year was pretty abysmal as well. Like he hadn't had a bad year in like five years at that point. Although technically, you could see some of the other years in between, not being the strongest. It's just hard to see think to think of someone that could ultimately break that record there's no way Phillip Rivers will break it I think he only has a couple years left to really make a name for himself on on playing for the Colts or whoever else he'll play with in the future but there's no way he reaches 300 games well, 297 consecutively that's that's going to be impossible. And I could see Rivers retiring... At some point within the next couple of years. And keep in mind... He didn't start until 2006. So if I were to do the math in my head... 2006 to 2015... That's 160 games. 160 games. So... 2017... 2018... 2019... So... 64 games, 224 games starting. It would have to take another five years or so to get to that accomplishment. Well, six years. Including this year. So there's... Well, to get to... Actually, it... Well, never mind. They have four years or so. I, uh, Math's a little off. It's just late night. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of who else could potentially get there. I mean... As far as consecutive goes, I mean, obviously, there's been plenty of kickers and punters that have played much longer than uh, Favre. And as as far as like starting games as a quarterback, probably Tom Brady's got could have a high higher number than than what uh, Favre has right now. But the, I mean, unless unless Brady broke it already. It's hard to imagine that, you know, thinking 10 years ago was Brett Favre's final season. Considering all the accomplishments and the mistakes he made during his time as a quarterback. But I'd be curious to see where this season goes as a whole because when you look at the AFC East jumping into that, the AFC East is going to be an interesting one because of New England not having a lot of their players. Now they do have the potential to win the division, the division. But can they do it with all these new guys, especially with a number of their defensive guys opting out? That's a question I ask myself. And I think they could I mean it's not going to be a mediocre team, but it's not going to be anything that is completely noteworthy. The big question is, how will Cam Newton fit into this Pats offense? Can the receivers continue to do their job with a different kind of QB? And can the run game get better? Can they run much better compared to where they were last year? Um, Unless Sonny Michelle was cut at some point, I mean, it's going to be tough and I think running back wise it's not going to be good value if you're into fantasy I just don't think uh, maybe James White surprises people but it's going to be tough for him as a receiving running back and obviously defensively it all them guys that opted out it leaves room for Buffalo to get their way into the uh, division and win it when was the last time they even won the division? I can't believe I'm asking that because it probably... 95? 98? Like it's, it's hard to imagine because there's been so much mediocrity for the Bills over the last 20 years. And even with some of those winning seasons, prior to all this mediocrity... It's just uh, it's it's hard to imagine, it, it, but over the last couple of years, they've they've looked better. Sean McDermott has a contract that takes him to twenty twenty five now. They the Bills like what they have. The defense is very good. Josh Allen, this is a make or break year I think for him. He better put up his A game because if and I think with a playoff experience under his belt now, he might learn not to make the same mistakes. This year, like he did last year. Not to mention, they can run the ball. I think this Singletary guy that is going to be the future running back for these guys. Hopefully it's you know kind of similar to what the uh, Bills had in the late 80s, early 90s. When you had Jim Kelly, Thurman Thomas, Andre Reed. I mean, you're hoping for that. Hopefully with some of these additions for the receiving game. They can be much better. I think it's all question marks if you are the Miami Dolphins and, and the New York Jets. I think this is a make or break year for Sam Darnold. I think the uh, biggest issue will be can he stay healthy? Can the run game get going? And the defense, which held its end of the bargain at points throughout the year, they actually did a little better compared to what I thought they were going to be for last year winding up seven and nine and not bad but you you think that maybe with some of these additions that they had you're hoping for the running game just to get better that's i think the big question mark and hopefully hopefully everybody on the offensive side is healthy and miami well they do have some tools to look good i think it's only a matter of can they have games like they did against New England at the end of last season? You want to see more of that where they can find ways to win ball games and not find ways to blow it. Who knows what the quarterback situation will be there. They got, they got a decent boost with getting, it was either Raheem Mostert or Matt. Right. I think it's Mostert that went to uh, Miami. So that's a decent boost compared to what they had last year. When your top rusher last year was Ryan Fitzpatrick. Leading in rushing and rushing touchdowns. I think it's a big mistake for them getting rid of Kenyon Drake. And if Drake performs very well in Arizona, that's going to be one of the biggest regrets they ever had. As far as their running game goes over this past decade. I think it was a mistake to get rid of Lamar Miller, what was it, like three years ago? That was a big mistake. The run game's pretty important, I think. You still need a run game to complement your passing. And I think that'll be the case in the North. They got good running backs in the North. You got Joe Mixon in Cincinnati, Nick Chubb in uh, Cleveland. You could have someone that could be good in James Conner with Pittsburgh. And Baltimore, I mean, number of running backs that could be the number one rushing team again. That was, that, Baltimore, this is, you know, this is the type of season where, this is where they could wind up being a pretty good dynasty with this new group of players that still, that lived up to high expectations last year. 14-2 and two last year. Even though they were a one-and-done team. Hopefully this kind of experience, similar to Buffalo, translates to, hey, we learned our mistakes. Hopefully we can get past those mistakes. I do think it will be a little bit of a down year for Lamar Jackson, but I do think at the same time he'll still have a pretty strong year. You're just hoping that there's no Madden curse. But it's still a good group of players. I mean, you still got a good run game. You still got you still got receivers for your team and obviously defense, you know, should hold its end of the bargain. Cleveland should not have that big of a hype this year. But whatever the case, it's make or break for Baker Mayfield. He needs to not make as many mistakes, and everybody just needs to click on offense. You're hoping for an improved defense this year. You're just hoping for anything. You're just hoping to win... win the. You're hoping for winning the division, first off, and hoping you can be a 500 or better team for the first time since 2007. Uh, Obviously, it's a rebuilding year for... Uh, Cincinnati, Joe Burrow might have to take some lumps during the year, and just you're hoping everything just gets improved over what they saw last year. You're hoping to see more than two wins, so I don't think there's much to be excited for if you're Cincinnati. But hey, it could translate to hey, we we develop these guys, we we draft better, and hopefully we see the playoffs in a couple of years. And I would say for Pittsburgh, well, that all hinges on how well Ben Roethlisberger will be this year. Because I don't think any any of his backups were anywhere good, and obviously the health of these players is a big factor. They always have a good defense. You just you you want to see a healthy running back situation, and hopefully, Roethlisberger grooms up these. These backups, or whatever backup is there, and that everyone all around learns the expertise of how to be in the Pittsburgh offense. The last couple of years have been disappointing for the team. Hopefully, a rebounding year and potentially a playoff spot, you know, come in three months or so. Now, the South is an interesting one because of all the stuff that, uh, that Houston has done. Because of Bill O'Brien getting rid of a number of guys. I think it will be a little bit of a down year. The health of the defense is important. As is hoping that Deshaun Watson can still continue to throw the ball well. Despite not having DeAndre Hopkins anymore. The run game... I don't know about that. I mean, you you got to run it and you can't rely on the legs of Watson all the time. I mean, he's a great playmaker and he definitely deserves to win an MVP at some point, but I I just you, you don't want to see this type of quarterback get hurt. I mean, that's that's what unfortunately happened. His rookie year was like the ACL injury, I believe. Knee injury, whatever the one. I, I, I think it's AFC or bust for uh, Houston. They don't make it to the championship game. I think the fans will have a Bill O'Brien's head on a plate. Now, I look at Tennessee, and they definitely seem like a good favorite To be a playoff team. The defense did decent last year. A lot of it is going to ride on the feet of Derrick Henry. Who led the league in rushing last year. And Ryan Tannehill. Obviously pretty good quarterback. Probably one of the more underrated guys of the 2012 class of quarterbacks. He definitely is capable of getting into the playoffs. As evident by what they What the Titans did last year. Can they show that it wasn't a fluke season? Can Mike Vrabel get a second straight playoff appearance? Can Henry sustain what he's done over the last year and a half? I think this is a favorite to play upset like they did this past season. I look at the Colts and they definitely are working on their uh, running game. They drafted they drafted a running back. You got Phillip Rivers coming in from the Los Angeles Chargers as well. The health of these guys is important as is a as in a, def, a good a good defense in itself. It's definitely short term and hopefully they get a guy or they keep Jacoby Brissett to where they can keep finding ways to stay relevant, and especially with the surprise news. They they have play hor they didn't play that horribly last year. But still I think people are expecting them to be possibly a ten win team. And that was probably before Andrew Luck called retirement, you know. I don't love we'll to see what happens with these three teams. I mean, any one of them can win the division. And with Jacksonville, I was surprised they got rid of Leonard Fournette. I for the life of me don't understand why they got rid of him. You have a guy that for the most part did had a much better year compared to what he had in 2018. Ran for 1,100 yards. Was pretty much the only rushing touchdowns from the team. Three touchdowns. That's real bad. But he was able to catch 70 passes. 70 plus passes. A little over 500 yards. But still, that's pretty good for for a running back. And especially since they had, they hadn't had a running back like that since Maurice Jones drew. As hard as that is to imagine. Crazy. Probably rebuilding here. Expect some mediocrity. Hopefully that doesn't hurt the development of Gardner Minshew and whoever else might be under center. They've lost a number of their defensive guys over the last few years. I honestly have no clue where this team's going. And as I look at the West, I think Denver could have the potential to be really good this year. I think it all hinges on how well Drew Locke plays or whoever else they might have. But the way Locke played at points uh, last year, hopefully he can show that he can hang with the best. And add in a good one-two running attack with Melvin Gordon joining the team and Hopefully they keep Philip Lindsay to to be like a a different type of runner. You know, he's for an undrafted guy, two straight one thousand yard seasons. That's pretty good. And of course, you got that good defense. This should be at the very least a wild card team, but it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough with Kansas City. Repeat, trying to repeat. I think the big question in Kansas City is the run game. But I also think can the defense still play to a high level? Because you know the the passing game will with Pat Mahomes. They still got a, most of their receiving core. You still got your big tight end in Travis Kelsey. This should be up an instant playoff team. You're hoping so. But the last time Andy Reid was in the Super Bowl, the Philadelphia Eagles had a mediocre 2005 season. That's—I don't think it's going to reach to that kind of level because there's not that big a controversy compared to where he was 15 years ago. But should still be a playoff team. I could see. I could see. The Las Vegas Raiders may be surprising some people. I mean, could three times the charm be what John Gruden needs, the same way that happened when he took over in 1998? When he reached his third year in 2000, his team did really well, and they got to the championship game, losing to the eventual Super Bowl champion, Baltimore Ravens. They got the pieces on offense. I just question the defense. I mean, uh, what I'm talking about is just simple stuff. I'm not, I'm not the most in depth when it comes to, to sports, even though I do like watching sports. They, I mean, they got a good running back. They got they got good receivers. Derek Carr hopefully he can show why he can be a top ten quarterback. And as far as the uh, Los Angeles Chargers go. I think a lot of it will have to be on their defense because the offense it's going to be a huge question mark. Even though they got a good running back in Austin Eckler. You got Hunter Henry and uh, Keenan Allen in the receiving game. I don't know if Tyrod Taylor is going to be the starter or that Herbert guy that that they drafted. Uh, it's going to be one or the other. They surprise people, or they just have a mediocre year. Uh, you, I think this is going to be like a semi-rebuild in the making. But hopefully, if it if they don't have a good year for 2020, at least expect them, if whoever they have under center develops very well, see him in the playoffs either next year or in 2022. When you look at the NFC, I, I feel like there's a couple divisions where anyone could win it. I think anyone except Washington in the East can win it. I see question marks all around in Dallas, New York, and Philadelphia. Dallas and New York can sport good offenses, can these young group of defensive players carry the load for for their team and maybe win a divisional crown can they that's the ultimate question mark while philadelphia i think a lot of it hinges on who is under center offensively and obviously the defense took a took some hits over the off season i just wonder if the Hurts guy is going to be starting or Carson Wentz. Because Carson Wentz, I, I don't care that he got paid all this money. And yeah, he had a pretty good year. I wonder if his health... It's just, he's, he's going to ruin himself by getting hurt even more at some point. I mean, look at Randall Cunningham. That guy was one of Philadelphia's biggest players ever for the quarterback position and at points in the 90's kept getting hurt you know he was a great mobile quarterback could throw the ball had like one of his longest passes ever in the 90's with a 95 yard touchdown throw You, even though Wentz is a different type of quarterback I mean health issues. I mean, this is basically like a cunning game situation. And Washington, well, definitely feels like a rebuild a little bit. Uh, but I do think it's one of those type of situations. I'm not sure if Ron Rivera will see, I mean, he could I mean, he could find ways to win games. It's just how well will Dwayne Haskins be who is going to be the main starting running back with the cut of Adrian Peterson. And just defensive, it's just all both sides of the ball. How well will they do? Hopefully, with some discipline, Rivera's hoping to see some kind of success. And really, Washington fans haven't had much to be hopeful for since 1992. Take it up as you will. I'm not sure where they will uh, be this year. I'd say expect a mediocre season. And I would expect a mediocre season as we go to the north. Talk about the uh, Detroit Lions. I think the Lions definitely need to have a good defense just to even keep themselves in games. And hopefully the health of their offense is good. You're hinging on Matthew Stafford, who I think really the season went downhill once he was out the rest of the year with his back injury. And the run game, as it has been the case for the last 20 or so years since Barry Sanders' retirement, still mediocre. I don't even think they've been in the top 10 rushing at any point. That's something I'll have to look at at some point. Even though they've had 1,000-yard rushers at points, I don't think it's been even in the top half of the NFL at any point. I might be wrong, but just they just haven't had a good running back since Sanders. They've had some decent ones, but careers derailed or they went to other teams. And that's kind of the same thing right now with Chicago. They don't really have any running backs. There's that Montgomery guy and the defense is still really good I just question will Mitch Trubisky be good this year or is Nick Foles going to be the starter either way the future of Trubisky is on the line and if he don't show any improvement like he had in 2018 I don't think he will be a starter ever again And Chicago's gone through so many quarterbacks since, what, the 70s and 80s that it'll just be another casualty on the plethora of 30-plus, 40-plus quarterbacks that that started at least a game for one of the most well-known franchises. I think ultimately this division will come down to Minnesota and Green Bay. Green Bay finally had a run game. And a guy that could run the ball and score. Aaron Jones had a really good year. The running game, and really the running backs contributed quite a bit to the scoring production of the Packers. And Dalvin Cook from Minnesota was healthy. They do lose Stephon Diggs as far as the receiving game goes, but Kirk Cousins can still play pretty well. He finally got a Playoff win this year, past season. Ugh, I got. Uh, ugh. Minnesota definitely has the stuff to be a playoff team, but this is, I believe, the last year under uh, Cousins' contract, unless he signed an extension, which I'm not sure if he did or not. This, the, you got to be hoping for something similar to what they had in 2017 when they went to the championship game only to get blanketed by Philadelphia. They got the pieces on both sides of the ball, and so does Green Bay right now. The big question, I think, is can Green Bay show that it wasn't just a fluke season for their rookie coach? Can they show that they are one of the best in the league? They have the the capability to show it. Can they just not have the run defense be Swiss cheese against something like say San Francisco for example now when you look at the south it's similar to the east anyone could win the division except for maybe Carolina but that's a story for another day <laughs> um, the addition to Leonard Fournette joining the Bucks definitely shows how great the offense could be on paper this could be a playoff team And it could be a playoff team for the first time since 07. And you get a decent defense in itself. And all these new offensive guys to compliment Chris Godwin, Mike Evans. Definitely going to be a good team. New Orleans could still be a good team. I just think the run game could be the X factor to whether they are in the playoffs or not for this upcoming season. Drew Brees can still play very well, barring any injuries like what happened last year. But yeah, you're hoping for Alvin Kamara to have a better year compared to what he had uh, last year. Not that he had a horrible year, but it wasn't as good compared to where he was uh, in 2018 and 2017. Yeah, it's easy to go after Kamara since there's no Mark Ingram. And not to mention, the defense has actually been better compared to where it's been, I don't know, like five years ago. And Atlanta, you're hoping for Todd Gurley to keep continuing that touchdown production. Something they've been sorely missing over the last year or two. You're hoping for a resurgence in the running game, and you're hoping the health of the defense can be sustainable enough to to get the team into maybe a wild-card spot. Matt Ryan is still one of the best in throwing the ball, and Julio Jones might be, right now, the best receiver in the game. Carolina, I think, depends on who they have starting. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think Teddy Bridgewater went to Carolina. I might be wrong on that, but... Whoever's starting, it's going to be an an interesting year in itself. A lot of the offense will be on Christian McCaffrey, and just both sides—they got to finish games strong. I saw this two years ago; they were they were having a good year, and then everything fell apart. And same thing happened last year. That's why Ron Rivera got fired. So I don't know what to expect out of this team overall, but as a whole, you're hoping for development of these guys and new coach, new experience, maybe a playoff team next year. It's going to be maybe they surprise the team, the league this year, but that's going to be a tough hill to climb. And rounding up the uh, West, well, I could say it like this. The uh, L.A. Rams are going to be struggling a little bit this year. No run game really. I mean, you're hoping for some of these guys to step up. Jared Goff can be a good player. He just you just have to hope the support is there for him as far as the run game goes, and can those guys on the uh, receiving side catch the ball? You know, just just have good production like what has been seen over the last couple of years. And can the defense hold its own? Because right now, you got potentially really good defenses in Seattle, San Francisco, and Arizona. Arizona could be one of the surprise teams for this upcoming year. Kyler Murray had a really good year last year. And Kenyon Drake, he fit well in that Arizona offense unbelievable. You this is this is what Miami had and they lost it. If Drake can play to the level of what he did when he went to Arizona last year, this is going to be at least a top 10 offense. And adding DeAndre Hopkins into the mix and good pieces on the defense. This is a this is a potential playoff team. I'm not sure if it will be a divisional winner, but it could it could create some interesting uh divisional challenges for the Seattle Seahawks because their run game has been kind of inconsistent. It's been a little better over the last couple of years, but Russell Wilson has been playing lights out over the last 5 years and of course, a different kind of defense, but you still got leaders like Bobby Wagner leading the way. Uh, this should be potentially a divisional winner. But can they close out the season like they did in years past? Not like what happened last year. And San Francisco, well, they still got that one-two punch as far as the running game goes. And Jimmy Garoppolo is definitely going to learn some lessons from playoff experience on his own and not just as a backup. You're hoping if you're San Francisco that the lost defensive guys is is not going to be a problem. And hopefully another divisional winner? I don't know. But it's going to be a tight race. I'll say that. All but the Rams have, I think, a legit chance to win the division. Or heck, they could all wind up in the playoffs because of how weak the East is. You don't know what the North is going to bring. Uh, really, there could be two playoff teams that are wild card teams in the same division. I could see it happening. I could definitely see it happening with the South. I could see it happening with the West, or maybe the East. But that's uh, that's a stretch to say so for the East division. So I don't think I got much else really to talk about with uh, with sports. There's not much else really to talk about. I mean, NHL is inching closer towards the uh, end of their playoffs. I think some of the teams are on that verge of getting into the conference finals. And NBA, well, whatever semifinal stuff they got going on. NASCAR, I mean, Kevin Harvick winning again. I mean, it's, it's just crazy. This guy has just been playing just been racing out of his freaking mind. He's up to like 7 or 8 wins now and recording right now he won the Darlington race uh, tonight. This guy's just he's just amassed like 20 plus wins over the last 3-4 years. Like You think about these NASCAR guys, it, I'm not sure if I said it before in an earlier podcast or not, but Usually with these drivers that have have raced for a long time, they they lose a bit of that that winning edge, but somehow with Harvick, even though he's been racing in the main NASCAR series for twenty years, he's he's very much I mean, he's done well with Stuart Haas racing, but whatever they've done over the last three, four years, it's working and he's culminated all these wins and its top three finishes in the season he's got an automatic bid into the round of 12 crazy not to mention we are seeing tennis returning at points obviously you got some boxing going on you got Mike Tyson returning this fall to to do some boxing although one thing that interests me is slam dunk champion. Nate Robinson facing off against YouTube douchebag Jake Paul. I mean, this guy. <laughs> it's it's basically. I think if that were to ever happen, I, I think it's set to happen. But if it is, if it if it is bound to, if it is happening, Robinson should knock that kid down. I mean, it's it, it'll feel like. A Tyson fight that you saw way back in 1985, 86. Yeah, that's another anniversary type thing. 35 years since Mike Tyson got the title from Larry Holmes, holding on to it from, what was it, like 85 through 90? That was another thing. The, the 30 years ago, back in February, the loss to uh, James Buster Douglas. And after that, just a up-and-down trend of him going to jail, him getting its, getting back into boxing, winning some. Of course, the bite fight versus Evander Holyfield. I mean, just crazy. Very crazy. But that kind of wraps up on the sport part. And as I look at television, it just seems like we're seeing more of these attempts to reboot beloved TV shows and see reunions of specific shows. And there's one show I'll target that turns uh, turns 30 later on in the week and that is The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. So for those wondering what it is, it's Will Smith show, sitcom, ran from 1990 to, through 96. It Followed the street smart antics of Will, and him being around his rich, rich relative family, the Banks. You know, these upstanding type people, and just mix the two together, all hell breaks loose. In, in actuality, it's a it's a really good show, and it's you know got a great cast of characters, great use of guest stars compared to say like Cosby show or Family Matters it it was able to be funny but also be able to tackle issues you know like racial profiling and just all sorts of stuff that can happen to to black people in the show you know within the show it's like and other stuff like like Will never having a chance to be a to see his father and being betrayed at all you know just make the, the dad making excuses and it just it's just an example of how good that show was and why compared to other sitcoms of the same nature why it's held up quite a bit not to the level of say a Seinfeld but still a pretty good show but even with that turning 30 there there's this push for a reboot of the show and Will Smith actually being a producer for it and there's actually another film in mind that's getting re- that could get remade that I'll talk about in a little bit but instead of it being a sitcom the idea is to turn it into a drama an hour long drama now this is it could it could work but I think it could backfire. I could think I could see it backfiring and fans not being pleased about it even with Will being involved as a producer because it had its share of dramatic moments throughout the show like the whole thing with the with the dad betraying Will and all that. And the whole end monologue at the end of it—I mean, with the "how come he don't want me, man?" and just the the nature of Will breaking down, you know, because even though he's a wise ass in the show, he still cares. You know, there's there's issues with Will's life, and to to see him break down in episodes, it's you know, it's a bit of a refresher, and it's not cheesy or any of that, it it worked very well but it's just I could see it doing well, I could see the the drama part of it being doing well, it's just how much pandering will it do, and will there be something in tone at points like the sitcom it just seems like there's this push for... And this is a 90s show, by the way, not the 80s. But it just seems like we're seeing this push for more 80s, 90s stuff. And there was a list on RollingStone.com. They did an article on why we don't need... Why there doesn't need to be a a gritty reboot of it. And there was this list of shows, like... Perry Mason, which I think I I, I I was looking up some of the shows that that they mentioned, and like Perry Mason is returning for another season. There was stuff like uh, like Punky Brewster and Saved by the Bell. And actually, I think um, Saved by the Bell is bringing back a number of their of their cast members to be in there in that reboot. Then you see some of these other stuff, like, say, Unsolved Mysteries, which just returned this summer. And you got Cobra Kai, which is a continuation of The Karate Kid, and similar to what Saved by the Bell is going to do. Cobra Kai brought back uh, William Zapka and uh, Ralph Macchio to play Johnny and Daniel. I mean, I think. Here's the thing I think people do want to see certain things come back. I think it's only a matter of how much will they stick to what made their movies or shows great. That's, I think, the big question mark. And if you go a slightly different route, people are not going to be pleased. They're going to be upset. I mean, it's just... Reboots in general, I think... I think we do need to lighten up on it a little bit. Even if it's some stuff that that is liked. We gotta come up with more original stuff. I mean, how many more times can you see the same reboot of specific shows and programs? And while it is nice to see some of the stuff return... It's not gonna have the same kind of magic... And if they want to recreate the same magic, they can, but you got to find ways to keep it fresh. Keep it unique. Adapt to modern times, but still retain that why people loved your program in the first place. Not much else I really i will talk about. There's other shows that turned like 30 around this time, and I'll save that for another episode at some point. But, yeah. I mean... Fresh Prince still a very good show. I could see it going either way for the reboot that could happen, but whether that gets it more episodes, more seasons, or not, when whenever they finish up. And that's as for that movie I was talking about. There's this idea of remake. Paramount actually re, thinking about remaking planes, trains, and automobiles. This was like. Know, like a few weeks ago that there was ideas floating around to remake that movie and it's like a going to be like a black version of it with Kevin Hart and Will Smith in it so for those wondering about the original it was a Steve Martin and John Candy as as travelers on the way to Chicago for in the case of Steve Martin's character Thanksgiving was his family and John Candy is his travel buddy and bad situations arise to where you know they get robbed car catches fire um really fun really funny movie from John Hughes I'm not sure if I would feel comfortable I mean I mean I like Will Smith I like I don't mind Kevin Hart to a point but how well is that going to work as a whole is it is it gonna be good natured a bit like like the original because I mean John Candy's a goofball in the movie but at the same time there is heart to him and Steve Martin's character there's heart to it and that's something I'll talk on a quick tangent about ten years ago there was a movie I wanted to see in the theater called Due Date uh, with Robert Downey Jr. and Zach Galifianakis, Todd Phillips' movie, first movie he he was directing since *The Hangover*, and I didn't see it in the theater, but I did see it like a year after it came out in college, and I was not all that impressed. And that was and that was a more raunchier version of *Plane Strains and Automobiles* minus the heart of it. I think it could work with Hart and Smith. I just wonder, what people bite at it? I don't think a lot of people will. I think it's going to be similar to what's going on with... Um, whatever new Home Alone that's being made for Disney+. Plus. I mean, people want to appreciate what John Hughes made. And I don't think people are... Going to be happy about the idea of seeing new movies based on some of his properties, but who knows? Maybe, maybe it'll do okay. Maybe it would be the type of movie if they even get it to film. If they even get filming on it, I think I would like to see word of mouth before before seeing it if they get it if they get it filmed. So I think I'll end it on gaming a little bit. A little bit over an hour filming, recording. So I'll talk about two things. Uh, I'll start with with Super Mario Bros. So Super Mario Bros. come September 13th, will turn 35. Even though the character have been around since 1981 with Donkey Kong... It was really Super Mario Brothers that propelled the character into superstardom on the Famicom month later on the NES, which I'll definitely be talking about the NES next month when that system turns 35. Now you'd think as a whole you would celebrate uh, Super Mario Brothers in grand style. And... They're doing something like that. They're doing, like, the, a Game & Watch Mario thing. They're doing, like, a Mario Kart-type thing. And they are releasing a compilation called Super Mario 3D All-Stars for the Nintendo Switch. And it's comprising of three games, Super Mario 64, Super Mario Sunshine, and Super Mario Galaxy. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing to do but when you look at the compilation there's people online that are getting upset about it and I can see reasons for being upset but at the same time it's not completely highway robbery because with compilations it's compilation has been around for well over 25 years going back to the original PlayStation days there was stuff like Namco Museum, there was Atari compilations, Midway compilations a couple other companies had compilations as well, just not as well recognized compared to those type of compilations PS2 days, there was compilations from Sega, Midway Uh, there was an Intellivision compilation there was Taito compilation Capcom Classics Collection there were just so many for like PS2, GameCube, Xbox. Even the PSB was getting some of the stuff that that the PS2 was getting. It's just unbelievable. The, all, all the ability to get all these mainly arcade games for for a decent price without having to go to an arcade, which by that time arcades were very much dead. And even like PS3. 360 where there were still some attempts to have compilations although it was much easier to have digital storefronts where you, they could sell you games individually for like 5 to 10 dollars much easier for companies to do that to get gain a little extra profit though this past generation well this current generation actually there have been efforts to have compilations for for the PS4, Xbox One, and Switch, and a little bit of the PC as well. I think that's where it bothers me, is that it's three games, and you're getting a fair share of content, and it's nice to see Mario Sunshine get a re-release, since it has never had a re-release since 2002, when it came out originally for the GameCube. And obviously you're going to get Mario Galaxy you know, one of the most revered games in the Mario franchise. But I think what bothers people is that it's limiting itself to three games for $60. The lack of Mario Galaxy 2 is very obvious. And I think the titling, I mean, do you really need to call it 3D All-Stars? I mean, that's kind of kind of dumb on Nintendo's part. I mean, you're telling me you couldn't add in, say, new Super Mario Brothers for the DS and Wii, you couldn't put in, like, Yoshi's Island? Or, I I know there's Nintendo Switch Online that can allow you to play, like, NES and Super NES games, but you're telling me you couldn't do a compilation with more than three games? I mean, in 90, here's the thing. Ten years ago, they celebrated 25 years with Super Mario All-Stars, and it was a re-release of the Super NES game now on the whole Super Mario All-Stars is a fantastic compilation because you get to play 8-bit versions of Super Mario Bros Super Mario Bros. 2 Japan Super Mario Bros. 2 USA and Super Mario Bros. 3 but with revamped graphics, revamped sound, improved controls and physics that depended on the reception of the person some liked it, some didn't it was a hit for a reason, for the Super NES, and bringing it over to the Wii, it was cheap. It was half-assed, and that's. It's if you were playing it for the first time, it wasn't bad, like like me for example. But it's disappointing a little bit. I I think even for playing it, having it for the first time, playing those revamped games really it's still kind of disappointing. I could see why people were upset at that. And it just feels like Nintendo is bungling and just messing up with the uh, this Mario anniversary thing. And I've read stuff like the, how they're going to handle the controls for Sunshine, since I think they use pressure-sensitive controls for for the water gimmick, and there's some slight increases in resolution for like Mario 64. I won't call it a complete lazy cash grab, but it definitely feels like they could have done much better with it and done a better tribute to uh Mario instead of what we have here. And I think what's also disappointing is there's other compilations in this generation that have done better with giving people more value to 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 these compilations like Sega Genesis classics you get to play 50 games for on PS4, Xbox One, Switch and PC. Rewind and fast forward, challenges for specific games, multiple versions of the same game like Streets of Rage 3 for example, you could play the original uncensored Bare Knuckle 3 the Japanese version of Streets of Rage 3. There you could play for the first time since the mid-90s, Alien Soldier, a game that only released in Japan and Europe. It was in America, but under a a cable subscription called the Sega Channel, where you could play 50 games a month for a specific price. Play whatever you want. (laughs) Pretty neat. (laughs) Uh... There's a company called Technos who made games like Double Dragon and River City Ransom. They have a compilation of 8-bit NES games that were on there. Capcom has a beat 'em up bundle and includes games like Final Fight. They have their Mega Man compilations. They got Disney Afternoon Collection, which comprised of six NES games based on Disney TV properties like Chippendale Rescue Rangers and DuckTales, Darkwing Duck, in Tailspin, for example. Konami has put out excellent compilations of their Castlevania and Contra games, of games that were released around the mid to late 80s, up until the early to mid 90s. You know, getting the arcade games of uh, Contra and Super Contra in the Contra collection, along with their NES counterparts. Shame they didn't have Contra Force on there, but I think overall it's... What Nintendo's doing, I mean, sure they'll have to work some stuff out, but it just screams kind of a lazy port in itself. But I wouldn't say it's a complete rip off. At least you, because I see online for stuff like Mario Sunshine going for well over the sixty dollars because of the resurgence of of the GameCube. There, it's it's a nostalgia thing, and it happens with any big gaming system you know they they reach a point 20 years later a couple generations later and people start buying it the ones that grew up on it and have disposable income and maybe in a few years time they give up on it but one one thing that does piss me off is that it's only going to sell for 6 months so it releases on September 18th, and it's only going to sell until the end of March of this upcoming year. I think that's a really bad move. Why limit it? If you really wanted to have a limited edition of it, have it out for only a couple months. That's it. Or keep it going for a year or two. Most games' shelf lives are a couple years. You'd have to do very, very well to even reach the level of selling for like three, four years like a Zelda Breath of the Wild. And I think this game will sell. It's just Nintendo being really stubborn with limiting how much they're going to sell this game. No, people have been wanting... People want... Mario sixty four on modern systems. They want sunshine on modern systems. They want a number of these games on modern systems, and restricting it to consoles that have been dead for a long time. I mean, I mean, they're missing out on giving new players a, a new experience, or an experience that older people had long ago. So I don't know. I mean, I expect to do decent, but and, and sell well. But it just—it's just unfortunate they took the easy way instead of instead of maybe putting an effort to maybe put in a few additional features. They'll have to see what happens. But if probably if it's just a straight port, then it's, it'll, it'll feel like something that you played back in like the late '90s, early 2000s. And I'll end it on a decent note with. the September 9th, 1995 the, being the launch of the original Sony PlayStation. So the original PlayStation came out at the end of 1994 in Japan. It wouldn't be until September the following year to make it stateside and I think like a month or two later in Europe. Now this is an important system because it was a third third company trying to get in the way of Sega and Nintendo. There was an attempt with multiple companies to dethrone Nintendo at the start of the 90s, and Sega got their way with the Genesis being a more mature system, aggressive marketing, third-party companies joining in on making games for the Genesis, one or two other things, yada, yada, yada and they squandered their opportunities a little bit with some add-ons and Nintendo was actually working with Sony to make a CD add-on for the Super NES whatever the case Nintendo backed out and didn't want to work with Sony and the result was Sony working on on this CD system and making it their own and the result being the Playstation and ultimately, Nintendo created this juggernaut of a franchise system with the PlayStation. And I definitely have some memories, a little bit of of playing the PlayStation. I've been playing Sony products for, as far as video games go, since uh, 1997, 1998. Yeah, you know, my first titles were playing games like NASCAR it was a family's thing family played it NASCAR 98, NFL Game Day 98 Crash Bandicoot, Crash Bandicoot 2 Tomb Raider 2 within that first couple months and that was the thing about the Playstation everyone flocked to it because it ran on CDs the controls were the controller was easy to get into and the analog stick later on pretty good Amazing. I mean, the graphics were not the the greatest in the world, but as time went on, and depending on the developer, it could look amazing. Although, as although compared to most people, I can get back into playing PlayStation. I can get back to playing uh, Siphon Filter, for example. I, I I can get into it despite the graphics not being the strongest, because the gameplay really, in the atmosphere, the music. You had real music. It set the mood for the game you were playing. You know, know, all the third parties were coming in, and it was just an an amazing time back then to play, you know, the PS1 version of Doom, play uh, Rayman, play Driver, Medal of Honor, and all this other stuff. And only in the last 10 years have I appreciated it a lot more than than what I appreciated as a um, as a kid I mean just just a deeply amazing system you know it's gone through a couple because of the disc drive not working as well that is a common issue with with the PlayStation and just being able to get a number of the games because I was me and my brother were stubborn and we scratched the discs unfortunately and you know I definitely regret doing that, but you know what, I've gotten most of the games that I played as a kid and stuff that I rented and you know, I feel pretty happy about that, not to mention the uh finding the games some of the games digitally on uh that I wanna play on PS three and you know, the backwards compatibility part a little bit on PS3, PS2, though I would like to... Although I restricted to just playing games from the same system. You know, I'll have an original model PlayStation going over playing it via PS2 or PS3. The original experience, man. It's just my favorite titles, you know, like Crash Bandicoot Warped, Medal of Honor Underground, Driver... Metal Gear Solid, definitely a great experience. Just, just too many titles just to think of. It just Siphon Filter One and Two. It's I just find a lot of amazing things to to look at, and uh, I just realized I, I think the next time, next time I wanted to talk about Windows Millennium Edition, but I'll save that for the next episode. So yeah about wrap this up this has been geeks and jocks definitely have some more anniversary stuff i'll talk about at some point maybe talk a little football because the weekend of football it's nice to see it come back hopefully you don't see as many issues heading into this upcoming week hopefully the players can learn the lessons of uh what MLB has done, what NBA, what the NBA and NHL have done. And they talk a few other things here and there. As far as this podcast goes, you can find me on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Radio Radio Public, Breaker, and of course the main site for this podcast is anchor.fm and I'll definitely be putting a link in for the episode as the case here. This has been Geeks and Jocks. This is Ryan Sullivan. Hope to hear your listeners on the next podcast. Stay safe. Stay protected. Stay healthy. Take care. And have a pleasant good night, everyone.